Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. There are lots to get to on the podcast this week. Um, our main focus, we're going to go back 22 years, 1996. So that's uh, coming up with a really special guest too. So we'll we'll get to that in, in just a little bit. This week's Hot 100 uh, Top 10, we'll talk about that. Uh, a couple other songs that are uh, brand new charity songs. Just want to mention those uh, before we get into our uh, 1996 flashback. Um can you tell a really interesting thing that happened last night? We're taping this on Tuesday. You know, what's funny, because people always ask that, and it's like, well, of course, you know, what am I supposed to say? No. You uh, you can sell anything, Gary. Let, right. Let's go. No, I went to dinner last night with Alex in the charts department. He's been on the podcast before. A couple of record people, another person from Billboard in the sales department. Interesting thing that happened. We were all talking about Billboard at dinner. Uh, whoa. There's a surprise. Cool. Uh, so we were talking, we are mentioning Billboard and our waitress, who was really nice. She she one point said, oh, you guys you guys know about Billboard? And we said, well, yeah, we, we work there. And she just very casually said, oh, I had a Billboard chart hit a couple years ago. Really? See, it is interesting. I didn't it? know Rihanna was, you know, moonlighting, waiting tables. Dang. I mean, it's, streaming doesn't pay like it used to, I guess. This artist name, uh, Natasha Ashworth. Bettingfield? No, not Bettingfield. Ashworth. So, so she said that. We're like, oh, that's, that's, that's what a strange coincidence. So, so she left, and, and I Googled uh, what she'd done on the charts. She came back. I, I said, Natasha, this is really weird. I, I wrote a story about you. Whoa. Yeah, our minds were blown. It, it was a chart highlights thing. We'd, uh, in uh, 2015, she, she had a hit on the dance chart. Madonna was number one that week. She was uh, debuting that week. So it was just kind of just a really strange coincidence. She was excited to meet people from Billboard. We thought it was cool to meet an artist. And she was a really good waitress, too. We had nice food. That's, that's a nice, like... Just a nice little story. I like that. Glad I told it. That's like, I mean, what, you really, what are the odds? Like, that's Billboard bringing people together left, right, and center. I thought you were saying, what, what are the odds that my story was going to be interesting? And those were, yeah, that was a long shot, too, but I, I think you brought it home okay. I've been moving calm, don't start no trouble with me. 
All right, let's uh, let's get to this week's uh, Hot 100s top ten. Uh, if you've uh, been looking online, if you saw us on Facebook Live on Monday. Huge surprise, Trevor. Drake's number one. Yeah, it's really becoming a runaway race for Drake at this point. Just lapping the competition. And as we'll talk about in a few seconds, uh, really eyeing who who will be that challenger, if there even is a challenger at this point, to take over that number one spot. Uh, but for now, yes, Drake holding strong for an eighth week. And um, I guess I did say holding strong, but we do have to announce that... God's Plan pulling 73 million streams for the week. Believe it or not, that is its lowest total ever? Yeah. Skrr? Is is it falling off? Is it about to kick the bucket? Is Drake is Drake over? Well, the other way to look at it is, yes, it's its lowest streaming week of eight weeks so far. But if you look at the 11 biggest streaming weeks of all time, all eight are in the top 11. So, sure, it's down a little bit, but you're still talking, again, uh, really historic overall. And, and of course, uh, I mean, to put it also in comparison of what it's doing compared to its challengers this week, uh, the number two stream song of the week is Post Malone's Psycho with Ty Dolla Sign, and that's pulling a little over 37 million streams for the week, so Drake basically still two to one, even in his worst week, if you can even call it a, a worse week uh, so far. So, um, yeah, Drake is still the man, and really, with Ed Sheeran's Perfect, it's still holding on at number two, sliding back as well after those six weeks at number one. You've got Finesse, Cardi B, Bruno Mars uh, in the number three spot. Once again, the song is, is still top dog at radio, but those stream sales starting to come down a bit. You really have to go down to number four to see the next song making some, some moves up the chart. And uh, does that have any shot for, uh, I guess at this point, all songs are competing for the silver medal yeah, until that, further notice? That, that's kind of what it is. Uh, Bruno Mars and Cardi B's finesse could hit number two, I think. It was pretty close this week. So maybe at the moment that's kind of what it can hope for, number two. Damn, and, that, and that's how, you know, that they could hit number two. That's I mean, that's just how big Drake is at this point. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so that could that could happen. Uh, meant to be, BB Rex in Florida Georgia line moves up five four this week. Uh, that could also uh, go to number two pretty soon. There's I mean, there's such a huge gap between number one and then the next bunch of songs, but they're kind of uh, kind of all bunched up a little bit uh, between number two and and down a little bit from there in the top five. So. Uh, Maybe that, that goes to number two. Either of those songs, we could see the middle. Uh, Zed, Marin Morris, and Gray is up eight to six this week. It's the greatest gainer in airplay. So another challenger. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just, yeah, the way we're seeing Drake uh, slip, even when he loses uh, a, a good amount of streams in a week, he's still so much above everyone else. That's it's probably going to keep him a number one uh, going forward. We can start thinking about maybe gets to double digits, 10 weeks at this point, and then we'll see where it goes from there. We know the record is 16. Uh, Still only halfway to the record, so it's probably too early to start looking at that level yet. If you've been listening to the podcast every week, uh, that song we just played a little clip of might sound familiar. Remember a couple weeks ago or so, Trevor, we played a clip of uh, Shine by the Stoneman Douglas Drama Club when they did that song at the end of the CNN Town Hall? Yeah, I remember you were a big advocate. You 
you know, I thought it was a little extreme, but you were really into, uh, you know, sort of throwing out a throwing out a call for some of the labels artists to get involved, right. and it looks like someone must have heard you. That must be it. Uh, yeah, no, it's out on Columbia Records, a really nice studio version. It's a charity of singles. So, uh, yeah, how about that? It's uh, It was uh, went up on iTunes on uh, March 16th, so we'll see what happens uh, chart-wise next week, at least be eligible. But, you know, most of all, uh, again, this is a song that uh, the students wrote, performed uh, in the aftermath immediately of uh, the shooting there. And now to see the song recorded, it, it just, it's... Uh, uh, putting uh, awareness and, and, again, proceeds towards uh, towards this cause. I just think it uh, continues to be uh, the latest impressive thing that uh, these students are doing. And especially with the March for Our Lives event coming up um, on the 24th, you know, that, that could be a big anthem surrounding that as well. So maybe, um, you know, if it doesn't show up necessarily in the first week, maybe in the second week when some of those returns start to show up, um, could make a chart impact. Who knows? Well, you mentioned March for Our Lives. That has its own song, thanks to Ben Platt and Lynn manuel Miranda. Yeah. Even when the dark comes crashing through When you need a friend to carry you When you're broken on the ground You will be found So let the sun come streaming in Cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again If you only look around You will be found So that's Found Tonight. Uh, that came out uh, March 19th, so uh, maybe we'll see that as well. It's been number one on iTunes, so that should make uh, some kind of an impact on the charts. But a couple songs that are uh, really uh, showing that uh, this movement doesn't seem to be going away. It's great to see that uh, there's so many uh, layers to this going forward. That's that's what uh, the students have wanted. That seems to be what we need going forward. And uh, I guess speaking of, of number ones on iTunes uh Recently, that, that could make a chart impact. I guess switching gears, total 180 to the uh, world of parody and comedy. You know, we saw uh, Little Dicky and Chris Brown uh, number one on iTunes last week for, for about a day and a half with the song Freaky Friday. Uh, and the videos, you know, obviously the song is so literally tied in with the music video. Um, getting a lot of streams there, becoming this kind of big viral hit that I don't think anybody expected. Um, so that could also make a chart impact next week. It'll be interesting to see. You know, Chris Brown back in the uh, in the spotlight a little bit. Um, interesting to see how people especially respond to that since he's, you know, I think Chris Brown is guaranteed to, to, to trigger a reaction. But it's just kind of fun. You know, it's a fun video if you haven't seen it. Um, they, it's a play on Freaky Friday where Chris Brown and Lil Dicky switch bodies and literally they created a whole song around it. I mean, it's it's... If you just heard the song without seeing the video, you wouldn't know what's going on. So make sure you watch the video. I think it's actually pretty funny, pretty clever. And, um, you know, might be a surprise kind of out-of-the-box hit this year. In the battle for number two next week. We'll see. (laughs) Don't know if Ed or Bruno's got uh, that much competition to worry about, but we've seen stranger things happen before. All right. Uh, Let's uh, really get into the heart of what uh, this podcast is about. Uh, We sort of teased at the beginning. It's uh, 1996. We're going back 22 years. Uh, The top 20 songs this week on the Billboard Hot 100. We're going to count them down from number 20 to number one. Uh, I'll stop teasing at this point. Special guest, number one, one of the most accomplished songwriters in the Hot 100's entire history, Diane Warren. She's coming up. Uh, When we get to number one, that's a clue for what number one uh, was this week. So uh, Diane is coming up. Uh, we always do this, Trevor, when we do these uh, flashback countdowns, uh, what we were doing back uh, when uh, this was uh, going on. March 23rd It's the chart date, 1996. Were you in school yet at that point? Kindergarten? Maybe, elementary school? May, probably. I w- yeah, it couldn't, it couldn't be more than 
I think probably kindergarten, yeah. I don't think even first grade. Uh, but yeah, so I, I wasn't doing much. I was just kicking it, you know, at five. Meanwhile, you know, while I was just starting my education, Gary, on the other hand, was just finishing his. That's like the worst possible way to frame. But like running the whole spectrum. Like, I, yep, I was a wee, a wee kindergartner. Gary was getting his degree. I'll look at it this way. You were uh, about to start homework. I was done with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you're just on to, you know, bills and mortgages. I'll still take that trip. <laughs> All right. So uh, 1996, uh, we're going back uh, musically. Let's get right into it. We're going to go uh, 20 to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, March 23rd, 1996, starting at number 20. I guarantee you, shorty, it's real. Baby, stick it out. Here comes the man of steel. We are kicking things off. Numbers 20 through 16, you guys just heard on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, back in 1996. Uh, kicking things off, number 20, Doing It by LL Cool J. So we're talking, this is about a decade into LL's career at this point. Um, and this is really, at least in terms of Hot 100 impact, where he's having his biggest success. Uh, so Doing It. On its way up the chart, uh, three weeks from this week, going to be hitting the top 10 uh, on its way to a number nine peak. And actually is going to be the second in a stretch of four top 10s in a row for LL. So just to show how big he was at this point, a um, uh, song people are probably most familiar with of this this set, Hey Lover, was a top 10 hit before this uh, at the end of 1995. We've got obviously doing it, as I mentioned, on its way into the top 10. After this, we're going to have the song Lounging, and he's going to cap things off with uh, a collaboration 
uh, with get this star-studded lineup. Babyface, it's LL Cool J, Howard Hewitt, Jody Wadley, and Jeffrey Daniels. So kind of a little grab bag of artists there. Uh, they're going to be on a song called This Is For The Lover In You, written, of course, by Babyface. And that also bringing up the top 10. So huge, huge time to be LL Cool J. Yeah, we've done a lot of these countdowns. I feel like uh, he might be the artist who has come up the most. I feel like we're the 80s, 90s, 2000s. He was always on these charts. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, ladies love Cool James. He's got he's got a way to, obviously, his, his heyday in the 80s, starting out with, with Def Jam and making through. But this 90s, he really actually, you know, in a weird way, I think people might think that rap and, you know, sort of the R&B at the time may have been kind of some polarizing forces. You obviously had, you know, if you want to pinpoint it as the gangster rap you know you Tupac got the East Coast West Coast feud and then you have this like sort of you know baby face sort of sappy to some people R&B but LL actually one of the people who, who's able to marry those well I mean Hey Lover is basically like a rap ballad Yeah, he'd already had I Need Love back in the 80s so people were kind of you know he was one of the soft rappers out there who kind of could appeal to both sides rather than just you know you gotta be all lover or all hater alright number 19 speaking of 90s rap we are talking one two three four something new by coolio and coolio really uh in his prime at this point didn't have the longest career necessarily but uh you know he got something that a lot of artists can only dream of and that's uh, an official number one hit here on the hot 100 uh the song gangsta's paradise which was a number one hit back uh, a few months ago at this point in the end of 1995 really setting things up his next song didn't hit quite as well but uh ironically one two three four on its way to a peak of number five yeah. that's it so finishing out the set right there when you said uh something that an artist uh, can only dream about yeah you know number one hit i thought you were gonna say a weird al yankovic parody yeah that, that is something i think a lot of people would you know if your song has made it into sort of the cultural landscape of Weird Al thinks it's big enough to a parody. For those of you who do not know, the parody of Gangsta's Paradise is a song called Amish Paradise, and it goes a little something like this. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. So the joke about the song was always, uh, was it offensive? But I suppose it could be offensive to the Amish, but would they be listening would to it? Would they know? Yeah. How are they going to know? Who's going to tell the them? 90s humor. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a good old 90s joke. All right, moving one spot ahead uh, up to number 18 on that week's Hot 100 back in 1996. Uh, former number one sliding down at this point. It's the song Exhale Shoop Shoop uh, as performed by Whitney Houston. The song was a number one at towards the end of 1995 and uh, I guess barring some major comeback miracle no one's expecting uh, is Whitney Houston's last number one hit on the Hot 100. Uh, at the time actually was her 11th number one hit tying her with Madonna uh, at that point for the most that any woman had ever recorded. Uh, since then Madonna's gone up to 12 and a few other artists have passed that 11 milestone. So Whitney now in fourth place among uh, all female artists. 
as most people can guess, Exhale, lead single to Waiting to Exhale, a film that starred Whitney Houston, uh, Angela Bassett, directed, believe it or not, by Forrest Whitaker. A lot of people probably do not realize that. Huh? That Forrest, yeah, back at, I mean, you know, 12 years before he won the Oscar, Forrest was already a, you know, proven director in Hollywood. I know him from Panic Room. Remember that movie? Uh, I remember the trailer for it. That's all about all I can tell you, but I remember, I remember that becoming a thing. Yeah. Creepy movie, Jodie Foster. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Really yeah. creepy. I remember that. And Forrest Whitaker actually directed the music video for this song as well. And this kicks off a nice run of hits from the Waiting Excel soundtrack. Uh, we're going to talk about two more of them on this countdown. So, I mean, already just in the span of one week, we're talking three songs in the top 20 from the same soundtrack album. All of this really masterminded by Babyface, who in many ways is the sonic architect of the 90s and we'll talk about him coming up later as well all right moving on to number 17 we got a song from joe one of the earliest hits from joe so an, an artist who obviously rode that 90s wave of r&b in early 2000s to some big success uh the song is all the things your man wouldn't do uh from the soundtrack to another film don't be a menace to south central while drinking juice in the hood uh, and great parody by the Wayans Brothers if you have not seen that film. Uh, the song All the Things on its way to a number 11 peak, so gonna just miss out on that top 10. Kind of always a feels like a tough pill for art, an artist to swallow that you were that close to getting that top 10 hit. Uh, best you can kind of bill a top 15. Always a little, a little unfortunate. But uh, don't feel too bad for Joe. He's got plenty more hits coming up, including he will eventually get to the number one spot twice in his career. Uh, once as a featured act, on the song Thank God I Found You by Mariah Carey, also featuring 98 Degrees in 2000, and uh, another major hit for him. Lead artist this time on his own song Stutter with Mystical. So Joe, you know, about to really break through and break through in a big way. And right above Joe, uh, interestingly enough, it is 1996. We are not going to see Michael or Janet Jackson on this countdown, so I'll go ahead and let the uh, the Jackson fans know that. But we will get some Jackson representation, believe it or not, by the next generation underneath them. We're talking Anything by 3T. Now, who is 3T? 3T is a trio of Taj, Terrell, and Tito Jackson who actually are the sons of Tito Jackson from the Jackson 5, brother of Janet and Michael. Right. So a trio that they formed to keep on the musical legacy. Oddly enough, this song is their only Hot 100 hit. So um, they kept the family name going into the next decade, but kind of interesting to have a, a top 20 hit and then not quite be able to follow that up. Um, I mean, they still tour, they still put up a bunch of music, but um, interesting that this song kind of caught on in a way that, that they haven't been able to duplicate since. But, you know, in any case, always cool to see some Jacksons on there, especially, you know, sharing the, sharing the wealth besides the, the Michaels and the Janets of the world and really, you know, showing that the Jacksons are, I mean as they always have been, as they always will be, just such a, a intricate musical family. It's not just, you know, one or two. I mean, we know, we know the Jackson 5, we know Michael, we know Janet, but even the next generation to come in that way, too. And if you're looking closely at the chart, you'd see uh, the imprint on that song was MJJ. So, Michael Jackson. All right, I'll take a break. After those Jacksons, I'll pass things over to my man Gary. Here he comes. Songs 15 through 11 this week on the Hot 196. Here they go. I said maybe 
15 through 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, 22 years ago, 1996, March 23rd. And I'll go back to number 15, uh, the song that introduced the really mainstream audiences to Oasis, Wonderwall. Uh, it peaked at number eight a couple weeks earlier. The band had had uh, four hits on the Alternative Songs chart since 1994, including Love Forever, pretty uh, classic song in their catalog. Uh, got to number two on Alternative. But uh, this was a 10-week number one on the Alternative chart in 1995-96. It's the song that, that uh, broke them wide open, remains their signature song, uh, for better or worse. It really introduced everyone to the Gallagher brothers, who didn't always get along. It's kind of maybe as, as much as their story as their music, but uh, great song, Wonderwall, uh, number 15 this week. At number 14, we know we're in the mid-90s when you hear a, a dance song like this, La Bouche, be my lover, just that uh, high energy Euro uh, dance that uh, really didn't hear at any other time. It sort of sort of built off some of the '80s dance, but uh, you don't hear this kind of music now here in the U.S. Uh, dance is is more chill at this point. But the total uh, mid '90s for a "Be My Lover," a Labouche, it had peaked at number six, uh, also two weeks earlier. Uh, wasn't their only hit? They'd be back later in 1996 with "Sweet Dreams." It would hit number 13, and uh, kind of feels like even a bigger not, a bigger hit than that. Not a cover of Eurythmics? Nope. Okay. No, uh, it's a sound like this, a good song and song. Sweet dreams of rhythm and dancing Sweet dreams of passion through the night Sweet dreams are taking over Sweet dreams of dancing through the night So, uh, double LaBouche, because we're back in 1996. Uh, moving on, number 13, uh, more alternative. So uh, uh, another uh, alternative uh, act's signature song, really, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, it's their biggest Hot 100 hit, 1979. It would hit a number 12 peak a week later. Uh, it had already hit number one on alternative uh, songs. I was looking at this, it actually surprised me. This is their only alternative number one. They've had 17 top tens. It's been a week at number one. You kind of think they're such a staple of 90s alternative had one week at number one in their career. I mean, I guess, well, I guess they are a staple in a sense if they have that many top tens, but yeah, that is kind of weird to have, you know, I mean, kind of, I guess, like an Aretha Franklin-y kind of like way, like you've got so many top ten hits, but just the momentum to get, you know, all the way to number one, it shows that it's harder than most people think. Yeah, there's so much competition. This is the heyday of, of 90s alternative, so they were always in the mix, but yeah, it's got better than not getting to number one, so celebrate that. Uh, number 12, D'Angelo Lady. Hey, we were talking about Joe before, his kind of a same type of career where this was his heyday, late 90s, early 2000s uh, for D'Angelo. Uh, this was his only top 10. We got to number 10 the following week. He had, had some hits, but this, this uh, sort of stands as the career song. It was number 12 this week. Well, I think that's surprising to a lot of people because, I mean, his best known hit would probably have to be Untitled, How Does It Feel, uh, which is just I mean, a staple of his catalog, uh, you know, won a Grammy. People, I'm sure, remember the, the music video, the one sort of the one take video of him just standing there singing shirtless. Um, but that's that's interesting that, that that song would not have gotten a number, would not have been a top 10 hit. Uh, but Lady was. Hmm. And uh, co-written, co-produced with Raphael Sadiq, another yeah. big name of this era. Yeah, definitely um, frequent collaborators, you know, that's sort of the... the uh, Neo soul, late '90s R&B movement, not quite as as mainstream, say as like a baby face or somebody, but definitely big player at the time. And uh, number eleven, this is an act for for all these countdowns we've done so far. We haven't played a song by this act 
But uh, yeah, 1996, why were the Beatles uh, on the chart? They were. This was the highest debut on the entire Hot 100 this week. In 1996, number 11, Real Love by the Beatles. Okay, so we're just over 15 years after John Lennon has been killed. And the Beatles, the Beatles are number 11. Yeah. With not new material you know not necessarily newly recorded right yeah it was a reworked John Lennon song from around uh, 1979 1980 uh, just just before uh, we lost him but uh, it was their 71st Hot 100 hits actually still uh, so far their final Hot 100 hit so uh, 22 years ago this week the song debuted the Beatles haven't debuted another song on the Hot 100 since uh, also peaked at number 11 debuted at number 11 just just missed uh, becoming another top 10 uh What's uh, interesting about it is uh, a few months earlier, uh, about three months earlier, Free as a Bird uh, was their first reunion track that debuted at number 10 and got to number six. So uh, that became their 34th and last top 10. And kind of like what you were saying before, Trevor, about Whitney and Madonna, uh, at the time, 34 top 10s was the record. So the Beatles held the record. Uh, Madonna, to that point, had 29 top 10s. She's since uh, gotten up to 38, so she now has the record. But uh, yeah, you were talking about a record extending uh, 34th uh, top 10 for the Beatles. Uh, it was actually the Beatles uh, plus Jeff Lynne. He uh, produced uh, these songs. Uh, Free as a Bird really has that Jeff Lynne, uh, Traveling Wilburys, ELO kind of sound. Uh, Real Love, it, to me, always sounded a little bit just more more John Lennon, not so much uh, the Jeff Lynne uh, production that uh, he sort of became known for in, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a big deal to have the, the Beatles back. It was uh, it was a whole series of uh, anthology albums. There were three albums. Uh, they all uh, got to number one on the Billboard 200, uh, Anthology 1, Anthology 2, Anthology 3. Uh, they hadn't had a number one album since 1973. So we're talking about 22 years. And uh, just all things Beatles were back. There was a TV documentary. There was a book. Uh, to, to, to say how 1996 this was uh, I have one of those documentaries on a series of VHS tapes yeah there yeah. it is but I mean just goes to show that you know I mean we're talking 25 20, 25 years since the Beatles broke up right uh, I mean you know 15 years since since, since John uh, has was killed I mean what other band can have that much of an impact to come back in, in this major way all these years later I mean entirely new generation entirely new sound taking over the, the I mean entire really the world and you know those 60s heyday guys are just still such a force that they can do this. Uh, there'd been a lot of talk, would they ever reunite? So when it actually happened, and even though John wasn't technically with them, this was a way to, to bring in his voice. It was, it was his song. So uh, I think you know, for a lot of Beatles fans, it was this is something maybe we thought just we, we'd never see it. So to have a, a sort of a new song, uh, it, it's kind of cool on, on the chart. You look at uh, the producer credits, you see uh, Jeff Lynne, but then you see Jay Lennon, P. McCartney, G. Harrison. Our star and written by John Lennon, so just just kind of neat to see uh, those four iconic names right there on the chart. Also, shout out to Ringo for getting his knighthood. He is now Sir Ringo Starr. Right. All right. Let's get up to the top ten this week. Twenty-two years ago, nineteen ninety-six. Let's go ten to six. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love you too. Any breeze with those I know by heart. on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, 1996. We're counting them down all the way to number one, and a special guest, Diane Warren, a songwriter extraordinaire, coming up when we get to number one. Uh, number 10, we heard Joan Osborne with One of Us. It was down from its number four peak. Uh, she was here recently, Trevor, and I got to talk to her real quick. I, I said, did you ever think that song would become a hit? Because as catchy as it is, the, the lyrics are obviously so central to it. She she didn't think that was going to become the hit it did. So she was just humble about it, uh, became a top five hit. Uh, later, the theme to Joan of Arcadia, late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. right, Sarah? What if God was... Yeah. And uh, Eric Bazilian is the songwriter. He wrote it. Why did he write the song, Trevor? Eric Bazilian? It's a good name for a songwriter. Makes a bazillion bucks. I was going to say, I hope he... Yeah, it's a bazillion dollar business, I guess. Uh, Um, Why did he write the song? Want a clue? Sure. Why is basically every guy ever written every song ever? To get a girl. Yep. To impress a girl. It's an odd song to write, to to do that. Not really your typical love song, but uh, it worked. They got married. 
There job, you go. Job done. Uh, it was the quickest song he ever wrote, too. So sometimes uh, the inspiration strikes and just uh, flows yeah. right out of you. Yep. Uh, number nine this week, 1996. Uh, probably my favorite alternative band ever. Definitely my favorite uh, jangly uh, alternative rock band, Gin Blossoms. Uh, they're only top ten. So uh, follow you down slash uh, till I hear it from you. So that's a number nine peak. It was holding there. Uh, so, so we're in the '90s. We still had uh, double-sided hits back then. C- cassette singles. You had an eight, an A side, and a B. So we'd move from 45s. But uh, cassette single. Do you remember cassette singles? No, I think I think at least by then we'd had CD singles. Yeah, we had those too. Like where it was you know like two tracks on a CD. But I don't remember ever really having a cassette single. You don't have a whole collection of them? No, no absolutely not. I barely have a CD book. Yeah, they were nice. This was a two-sided single. Uh, so the, the way this worked is, uh, uh, Till I Hear It From You, which is technically the B-side, had reached number eight on radio songs in November 1995, uh, but it wasn't a commercially available single uh, on its own then. It was just a, a promo radio single. So uh, per rules of the time, couldn't hit the Hot 100, uh, but then it was released as the B-side to Follow You Down. And since they were both big songs at the time, radio, uh, Follow You Down actually uh, became a number seven hit on radio songs. Uh, they were both listed on the Hot 100 uh so that's how you get a two-sided hit in 1996. It's always nice to, you know, give the equitable representation. Baby, I don't want to take advice from fools. I'll just figure everything is cool until I hear it from you. Jim Wilson had so many other great songs. Uh, Found Out About You, another one of their hits. Probably my favorite uh, song of theirs. Uh, new album, by the way, uh, supposedly on the way from the band. It, uh, there was talk it was going to come out last year. It hasn't yet. So, so they broke through in 1992, uh, this album uh, with uh, Follow You Down, 1996. Uh they waited about 10 years 2006 till their next album and then 2010 so uh, if we get another album from them uh, 2018 maybe 2019 they're they're on their usual timetable I guess they go years and years uh, between albums hey you can't rush greatness you know uh, number eight, Everything But The Girl Missing, uh, had reached number two. Uh, became a hit uh, from its remix. Uh, it had been out uh, first and, and uh, just amped it up, and that's what uh, helped it go all the way to number two on the Hot 100. Uh, singer Tracy Thorne, she just released a new solo album called Record. Uh, hit number one on our Heat Seekers albums chart, so still uh, going strong. Uh, 22 years later, uh, no activity from uh, Everything But The Girl uh, since 2000, but uh, it was a duo, she and Ben Watt, uh, the other half of the duo, uh, it's actually her other half. They got married in 2008. Look at this, you know. Happy 10th anniversary to them this year. Uh, number seven, Alanis Morissette, her first Hot 100 Top 10. The debate still to this day, is it really ironic? Yes, that rages on. But then, you know, sort of to sort of meta that one more, people always advocate, well, is, wouldn't it be ironic to write a song called Ironic? And there's no irony in it. So maybe Alanis is like on that double, you know, double take. She she got you. No matter what it reached, it was a hit. It reached a number four. Uh, you Learn would become her other top ten, number six, in uh, July 1996, both from Jagged Little Pill, uh, which uh, shows how big this album is. Still the third best-selling album since Nielsen Music began tracking sales in 1991. Should we have a, a little mini countdown within the countdown here? Top three sellers of all time in the Nielsen era? Just like my my interesting story earlier, 
<laughs> I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, here we go. Uh, so uh, number three, Jagged Little Pill, 15.1 million copies in the U.S. sold to date. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially uh, now in an era where album sales aren't anywhere near what they used to be to, to hear a number like that. Uh, number two... Shania Twain, Come On Over, 15.7 million. So, so actually, Atlantis uh, doesn't even win the battle among Canadian women. Shania's higher. Damn. But, but how about that? Two of the top three by Canadian female artists. Let's go, Canada. Uh, number one. And for people who maybe don't know this stat, it probably becomes a big surprise. Metallica, Metallica from 1991. That's the biggest. That's the black, the black album. Yeah, the big, people, yeah. the biggest selling album of the Nielsen Music era since 1991. 16.7 million copies. Yo, Inter Sandman was was that hot. And uh, in case uh, anyone's wondering what's up next, uh, the Beatles again. The Beatles won their uh, 2000 compilation of number one hits. Uh, it's fourth, a uh, bit of a gap, actually. It looks like Alanis is still pretty safe for a while. Uh, 12.9 million. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Back in the 90s when people bought albums and cassettes and cassette singles. You could just keep naming all these all these, font, these old all technologies. These that, that they're yep. uh, sadly gone. Uh, number six this week, 1996, uh, R&B Hip Hop, then, uh, then Luminary. We find out a lot more, I guess, about R. Kelly uh, going forward. But uh, with a legend, Ronald Isley, down low, nobody has to know. Uh, up to number six, it would reach number four the following week. Huge uh, R&B hit, number one for seven weeks on hot R&B hip hop songs. And Interesting pairing, you know, R. Kelly... Ronald Isley. I mean, they they've collaborated on several songs together. So an interesting, you know, sort of connection going on between that old school and that new school. And it's not just this song; it's contagious. It's on the remix to Kelly Price, friend of mine. There's a really, you know, this is not the first time we're gonna see R and Ronald teaming up, by that's, any means. That's like uh, half a century worth of of R and B. You go from Ronald Isley to Dark Kelly. The both the R's and R and B, you could say. Keep getting towards number one. Let's go five to number two, and uh, we'll save uh, number one. Uh, for what that is coming up but here we go continuing the biggest Hall 100 hits this week 22 years ago 
And bringing us out into the home stretch, we've got number five this week back in 1996 on the Hot 100, uh, falling out of the number one spot. So this was a former champ on the chart. It is One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. So uh, the song actually falling out of the number one spot in its 17th week on the chart and that was the first time in its entire run that the song did not know what the what being a number one felt like uh, the song had debuted at number one back in december 1995 and held that for 16 straight weeks which smashed the old record of 14 weeks uh at the time and actually still is the longest that any song has been at number one 16 weeks uh last year as Many lambs, many believers, and uh, many chart fans will know was finally tied by another song, Despacito, Luis Fonsi, Daddy Yankee, and Justin Bieber also pulling 16. But for One Sweet Day to do, you know, its first 16 at the top is is that impressive as well. And we can tie that to Drake. We we're talking about uh, before how uh, God's Plan has spent its first eight weeks at number one on the Hot 100. It's one of only six songs to do that. Uh, still as impressive as that sounds it's halfway to the record which is one sweet day so it's for 16 weeks on the hot 100 all at number one so everything that god's plan has done so far has to do that all over again for another eight weeks and if it does it'll tie that record uh, 16 weeks on the chart all at number one to start uh but of course mariah boys to men i mean in the mid 90s just two massive stalwarts at uh at the top of the chart i mean just crossing pop r&b just just two of the heavyweights and one record i think that kind of goes um a little you know obscured in the boys to men catalog obviously having you know one of the two longest leading number ones of all time and uh, one, you know, but one thing I think that goes sort of underappreciated about Boys to Men in their catalog is three separate times they have had the longest leading Hot 100 number one hit. So you start back in 1992, walking back when Into the Road spent 13 weeks at number one. That was an all-time record. No song had done 13 weeks. Uh, then Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You" comes along, gets to 14 weeks. So the boys' record is broken, but uh, they don't let they don't let that stop them for very long. In 1994, they tie Whitney with "I'll Make Love to You," uh, which also spends 14 weeks at number one. And then, of course, now we see with "One Sweet Day" getting 16 weeks at number one. The boys have topped that mark again. The only act in Hot 100 history to have three songs spend at least 10 weeks at the top each. So. As much as we give the shine to Mariah with One Sweet Day, all her number one accomplishments that she obviously deserves, you know, feels like the boys go a little underappreciated for just how, how much they ran the table in that sort of five-year period between 92 and 96, 97. And you talk about those three songs. I mean, there's other great songs in their catalog, too. Uh, uh, On Bended Knee was six weeks at number one. That might be, to me, their best song. Water Runs Dry was a number two hit. That's a great song. So even beyond those uh, super huge number ones, that's a really good catalog they uh, had in the 90s it's so hard to say goodbye and also uh the first one which uh, not a ballad uh you like motown philly well, that's a song that that uh, introduced that started them started yeah, it all you kind of okay. you think of them for ballads but that was actually the one that uh, yeah it, it, it was the finesse of its day the, fin- the finesse of its time all right uh, moving on up to number four uh, the first of what's going to be a double waiting to exhale special uh 
Number four this week, slip in a spot for number three, was a former number two hit, Mary J. Blige's Not Gonna Cry. And as we mentioned way back, uh, talking about Exhale, which was number 18, another babyface written and produced ballad. And Mary at this time becomes her biggest Hot 100 hit yet, hitting number two. Uh, she had previously gotten as high as number three with her collaboration with Method Man, You're All I Need to Get By, I'll Be There For You. Uh, Mary, of course, also riding this huge R&B momentum, the queen of hip-hop soul, uh, eventually having a number one hit in 2001 with Family Affair, and also will get to number two again in 2007, helping out Ludacris with helping out Ludacris with Runaway Love. Um, huge seller, also just to go just to show how big this song was, you know, for the, really the public. Five weeks at number one on the Hot Single Sales chart, uh, only number 19 on radio songs though. So just goes to show how much it was selling at the time to really get it all the way to number two on the Hot 100. And right above Mary J, also another cut from the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. Sitting Up In My Room by Brandy and just like Mary J. Blige this at the time Brandy's highest peaking Hot 100 hit uh, with that number two she eventually will cross that barrier get to number one with The Boy's Mine uh, the duet with Monica in 1998 also following it up the year after that with Have You Ever and really you know goes to show that I think the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack was such a big moment for so so many of these R&B stars who had quite not navigated the pop lane as well as they had the R&B lane. Brandy, Mary J, very well known, very successful on the R&B chart on urban radio. But this was the album, you know, working working with Whitney, working with Babyface, that I think opened a lot of doors for them going forward into the late 90s, even the early part of the 2000s. I mean, you, you know, look at Sitting Up In My Room, look at Not Gonna Cry, just some game changer records for these, these artists' careers. And this was essentially the follow-up album to The Bodyguard. For, for Whitney and everyone, as much as a, that's so iconic, the Bodyguard soundtrack, you could almost make a case the way you're saying it, Trevor, that maybe in some ways uh, Waiting to Exhale was actually more uh, important, more influential, because as you said, it kind of uh, helped introduce all these acts that would uh, really be big for a long time through the rest of the 90s. Yeah, you know, um, from what I understand, you know, it was really, as you would think, designed to be a Whitney Houston album. Uh, in the way the bodyguard they knew how successful that was Whitney hadn't put anything since then it had been a couple years there was an appetite for new Whitney music but you know the theme of the movie the theme of, of the book is really about African American sisterhood and so Whitney really took it upon herself to sort of change the direction of that project obviously consulting with Babyface who really masterminded all the writing all the production but they really then wanted it to be a cross section of just some of the great African American vocalists and not just you know current ones obviously Whitney's there obviously Mary J, Brandy, TLC, but I mean, Aretha Franklin's on the album, Shaka Khan is on the album, so this is definitely, you know, in some ways a who's who yeah. of the great female R&B singers of the past couple decades. Alright, uh, we'll break up the uh, diva party in the top five with the number two song this week back in 1996, Nobody Knows by the Tony Rich Project. As we kind of mentioned maybe with the Jacksons earlier, one of, one of the weird sort of sort of things about a career in the Hot 100 is you never know where or when or how it's going to go. This song is a number two hit at the time. Great R&B track. Somehow is the only top 40 hit for Tony Rich. He peaked at number 41 with another song, didn't he? Yes, he yeah. got to number 41 yeah. with another song, so, you know, right there on the cusp. Just A two and a 41. Could I have just bought... An, yeah, yeah. Man. I mean, really, a, a two and a 41. If you could have just bought five more copies either week, uh, maybe things would have been different. But 
Well, here's here's a consolation. Uh, the song would become a number one country hit uh, a little more than a year later by uh, and not by Tony Rich. No, Kevin Sharp. Here's a little piece of that one. I'll be loving you still. Nights are lonely. The days are so sad. I just keep thinking about the love that we had. Great song's a great song, can work any style. All right, we're up to number one this week, 1996, 22 years ago. Here's what's kind of interesting is uh, that song, uh, Nobody Knows. Uh, really interesting movement all around in the top five. So we saw that uh, after being number one for 16 weeks, One Sweet Day fell all the way to number five. The week for Nobody Knows to jump up and it, it moved four to two. So from the movie, uh, this is maybe the part that, that you don't think of when you think of the song, Up Close and Personal, it's not... Not really a 90s classic. Yeah, I think uh, another one of this, this artist's songs uh, was attached to a much bigger 90s classic. Yep. Uh, when you hear it, uh, you'll know what it is. So, uh, written by Diane Warren, who we mentioned before. She's written uh, 32 Hot 100 Top 10s, uh, nine number ones. This is one of them. Really excited to have on the podcast. Diane Warren talking about this song that was number one. It's first week at number one of six weeks and number one total for Celine Dion. Uh, Diane Warren talking about that song and so many other hits uh, that she's written over the years for her latest uh, music as well, which has just uh, got her to the Oscars. So that's all coming up. Trevor, you actually weren't able to be on this call uh, when, I, when I talked to Diane, but uh, I've been a fan of hers since since before you were born. So I think I had enough ammunition to, to take this one. <laughs> I know you've been a big fan for a while, so I'm glad you finally got to check this off your bucket list. She was really nice to it. I think it, I think it went well. So we'll hear it and well, find well, out. We'll, but we'll, I, let, I we'll so. let the people judge. Yeah. Here it is. Without further ado, talking about the number one hit, Because You Love Me, here is the one, the only, Diane Warren. For all those times you stood by me, for all the truth that you made me see, for all the joy you brought to my life. For all the wrong that you made right For every dream you made come true For all the love I found in you I'll be forever thankful, baby You're the one An honor to have Diane Warren on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome, Diane. Hey. <laughs> Glad to be here. All right, so uh, lots of things uh, to get into, uh, the legendary career, obviously. But uh, first up, we're celebrating when Because You Love Me uh, hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, 22 years ago, March 23rd, 1996. That's so crazy. Yeah. Well, it, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that long ago. Especially impressive. Uh, and then it dethroned uh, the longest leading number one hit of all time, which is One Sweet Day by Mariah. I didn't, I don't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Wow, that's, kind of, that's impressive, too. Yeah, Pretty I mean, cool. it, Despacito has since uh, tied that mark, 16 weeks at number one. But at wow. the time, at the time, this was you know the unstoppable. It, it debuted at number one. It had spent its first 16 weeks at number one. It was, you know, what could possibly take this down? It's a song that Diane Marlon wrote. Yeah. <laughs> What memories do you have of writing Because You Love Me? I, I, from what I know, it's a very personal song. What, is it, what does yeah, it mean I mean, to you? Um, you know, I saw the movie, and, you know, I, I, really, I really liked the movie. And, I, and I, you know, it was written, you know, Michelle, I, the, the, the weird thing is that's, that movie, you know, up close and personal would probably be like sexual assault now, right? Yeah. You know, she has an affair with her boss. Right. If they didn't get married, who knows what would happen? <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, but back to writing the song, I mean, but, but, um, you know, I, I, I wrote it for her, um, 
for Michelle Pfeiffer's character, you know, to, you know, talk about what, you know, I mean, Robert Redford's character, her husband, you know, um, she, she was a song to t- talk about, you know, he, he gets killed in the movie and it's her kind of, you know, you know, thanking him for believing in her. And then it made me think of my dad who, who really believed in my music. So, you know, that, that, that got in there as well into the song. So, you know. I got, I got both in there. <laughs> yeah, that's what you were saying on the Pop Shop podcast recently. When you write for movies, you you, you want the song to stand on its own. You want it to fit oh, yeah. in the movie as well. But it kind of has to be, you know, this is a song obviously everybody knows for the last 22 years. It's it's never going to leave radio. It has to be its own song. By yeah, song. and it's like the, one of the biggest wedding songs of all time. And, you know, here, here it is written, you know, for someone dying. <laughs> so I always say, like, the songs that work at, at weddings and funerals are the ones that will last forever. Okay. Yeah, it's when I write something for a movie, you know, obviously, you know, most important thing is the song has to fit that movie. But, you know, equally important to me is, is for, you know, for the song to have a life outside of it, you know, whether it's Because You Love Me or my most recent, you know, song, Stand Up For Something, right. you know, which that's fit into the, in, in, in Marshall, you know, it it has a purpose, you know, it reflects, you know, Thurgood Marshall's character, but, but I, I kept it open, you know, and that's why that song is, is resonating so deeply right now with a lot of different people and causes you know so if you can if you could write a song about you know a character that passes away and someone talking about that and it becomes a wedding song you know or it becomes you know you know because you love me it could be you know to your friend it could be to anybody it could be to your parents it could be to your kids it could be yeah, I mean, it's a pretty open song. A lot of songwriters say that when they write a song that's so personal, it, it's cathartic. Did you feel that way specifically with that song, saying you wrote it for your father in some ways? No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that, but I felt that it was a leap in my craft. Like I felt when I wrote that song that that song was better than I was at the time, if that makes sense. Like, writing that song, I was like, whoa, this is probably, you know, my best song. So I, I had to catch up to that song. And I had to convince the director because he, um, he, he, you know, had different people write the song. And he wasn't telling me for a couple of months there. I'm like, come on, you know, you know, the song's the one. Come on. <laughs> what was different? What felt different to you about that song that said, yeah, this is this is better than all the, the tons of hits I've already written? I don't know. There was something lyrically about it that I thought, you know, I went to a different level. You know, I just I just knew it was a great song. Do you always know, I mean, as someone who's had the success that you've had, when you've written a song, do you know, yep, this is my latest hit, or are you yeah. always surprised when they... I do, not, I can feel you know? it, but then there's a yeah. lot of other things that come into play, isn't there, you know? I mean, yeah, I feel it when it's a great song, for sure. I feel it when, when it sounds like a hit song, for sure. On the flip side, and really aren't that many examples, but any songs you wrote that you thought, this is an absolute smash, and for whatever reasons, probably beyond your control with who wound up recording them, the record labels, just didn't become yeah, yeah, a big there's, Again, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that come into play, so maybe it's a great song that doesn't get promoted, you know, or the record's not right, you know what I mean, or it comes out at the wrong time, you know, there's a million things, but you know, I'll, I'll, I never quit with a song, so I, and if it's not a hit for somebody, I'll give it to somebody else, you know. Yeah. Any any songs that, that to this day you still wish you, you know that that really deserves to be a bigger hit. I mean, there's, God, there's like do you have like hours to talk. I have like I have, there's a lot of songs, you know. Um, I'd have to think about it. But there's a bunch.
while you do that, I'm going to name a couple that were top 40 hits on the Hot 100, but maybe two of my favorites, maybe two that I always felt could have been bigger. Late 80s, 1988, Cheap Trick, Ghost Town, number 33. Yeah, that, that was really cool. I, I thought yeah. that should have been a bigger hit, yeah. Um, I remember, I think I wrote that with, um, with, with Rick, right? With Rick Nielsen, oh, Cheap Trick. I didn't co-write that many songs. You know, they did one of mine as well, and then they, they did that. They did Wherever Would I Be on the next album. Yes, that's the one, I, okay, that's the one that I wrote. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and that was, I thought that should have been a bigger hit. And then speaking of that song, um, Daryl Hall and, and Dusty Springfield recorded it as well. Right. You know, that wasn't a hit by either of them, but you know, I still think that was a good song. It should have been, you know, with one of those artists, you know. Right. It's like you never know, you know, again, there's so many things that, so many variables, you know, right. that have to kind of, you know, whenever something works, I always think, you know, it's, it's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, what it is being a songwriter. There's only so much control you have, right? You send the song out and you just kind of hope for the best. Yeah, you know, you hope the artist didn't piss off the label, you know. <laughs> you hope that, you know, that it gets a shot at radio. You hope that, you know, you know, you just hope hope everything aligns. You know, everything has to align. It, it, obviously, when it's someone like Celine Dion, and you know, it's a lead single from an album, it's from a soundtrack. At that point, you must kind of think this this is just one of those songs that was meant to be hit, hit the jackpot with who's recording this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it had everything going for it, didn't it? You know, it, you know, you, you know, it, it was her lead single. She was a huge artist at that time. You know, a movie with 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 the muscle of a, of a big studio behind it, with Disney behind it. Yeah, I mean, everything was going. But you know, at the end of the day, the song has to be great. You know, you could have all that if it's not a good song. You know. It's not going to matter. Chicago Chasing the Wind, top 40 hit, just, just made it in, 1991. Yeah, now again, that one too. I thought that would have been a bigger hit as well, you know. But who, know, you know, who knows? You know, who knows why, you know. I love that song. That's one of my, that was like one of my favorite songs of that time. Do you, uh, you wound up writing you know, a few hits for, we just said Cheap Trick, Chicago. Do you write with, with a male vocalist or female vocalist in mind? Or again, whatever comes out, comes out. I just try to write like a great song, but sometimes it'll seem more, you know, more male or more female. But I like I like sensitive songs for guys, you know. I think I like writing songs for guys that they would never, you know, like that's what like what, like I don't want to miss a thing. Work, you know. If it was a girl saying that, it would just be kind of whiny. But when you have Steven Tyler singing something like that, it becomes, you know, something that that their that girls' boyfriends or husbands never say. So it's like you know what I mean. You're giving a voice to men who don't know how to express themselves. Yeah, <laughs> they can sing it really drunk at karaoke bars. <laughs> yeah, that actually more more chart history. That was uh, that was Aerosmith's first number one hit on the Hot 100 yeah. after they'd been yeah. on the chart for about twenty five years. So thanks to you, they got a number one hit. Yeah, it worked out. Worked out for all of us. Yeah. and uh, Mark Chestnut too became a country number one hit. Yeah, number one record for them, him as well. Do you uh, have you followed the charts over the years, Diana? Are you a big Billboard chart watcher for all the success you've had, or you, you find out about it, or it, or it becomes yeah, no, I becomes just, I, check it, I, I check it out. I check everything out that's going on because I'm working with a lot of, of of artists, so I like to know what's going on. You know, whether it's my songs or, or other people's. 
I feel like one of the things that's changed in recent years in your writing is, I think a lot of people know you for, for writing love songs, but you've written more, I guess we'd say, message songs in recent years, uh, Till It Happens to You for Lady Gaga, Stand Up for Something, just nominated for an yeah. Oscar. Do, do you find that as you mature... And the two, you... two, 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 my last two Oscar-nominated songs as right. well. Yeah, I, I think it's cool to that these songs are really making a difference. You know, like, Till It Happens to You is, you know, it's a pretty important song. You know, I mean... That kind of started the whole, I mean, I don't want to say started the Me Too movement, but, but gave a voice to it. Like, people weren't talking about sexual assault at that time, openly. And, and that's the power of music, and, and that got a lot of people talking about it, you know. And then, and then Stand Up For Something is becoming, you know, an anthem, a really, like, a modern kind of classic anthem. So I'm, I'm proud of those songs. Was that a choice to go in this direction, or is it just naturally? It just kind of happened, out? you know. Yeah. I, I do my pop songs too. I do my, I do all kinds of songs. But to, when you're able to write a song, I stand up for something. You know, how cool is that? You know, I mean, yeah. You know, do you see the Oscar stage and, and those ten activists on there? Yeah. I mean, my song brought them together. Right. That's, these are like you know pretty heavy, heavy duty people changing the world. You know. As we all uh, mature, you. I don't, know, I don't know if it's maturity because no. I'm still pretty immature. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, or, or not all my songs are that, but I like I I love the fact that I could write a song, you know, like that, or "Till it Happens to You," or or "I Was Here," song I did for Beyonce. You know, right. that has an amazing life as well. You know, it's become like a graduation standard, even though I barely graduated. But you know, so it's, it, it, these songs have different uses. You know, so it's kind of cool. Like they have all these lives. People always assume that you're this big softy for, for all these love songs you've written, but is that that's not necessarily how you see it? Well, I'll tell you, my favorite story that I've read about you, if this is even true, is that uh, you, you ran away as a teen, you're all rebellious, but you returned because you'd miss your cat, which just... Yeah, true. True to- story. To- totally makes it seem like that's the two sides of you, that you wanted to be this 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 tough person, but yeah, you, you missed the cat. You had to come back. Yeah, because I have a really soft heart, especially for animals. But you could be a badass and have a, um, and you could be a sensitive badass. <laughs> that, that should be your uh, autobiography title. Sensitive. Diane Warren, sensitive badass. There you go. <laughs> That's what's going to be uh, unique and, and exciting as a songwriter, as opposed to an artist. You're sort of, you're sort of more timeless in some ways because you can, you can write songs. You can have a career for 30, 40 years, whereas an artist yeah. is probably going to be more limited uh, in terms of on the charts. But there's always people coming along who can record a new Diane Warren song. I know, it's kind of fun, you know? Works out well it. for you, yeah. Yeah. Any any artists that you've, either newer artists or even even artists that have been around a long time that you have never worked with and, and you'd still like to? I mean, you know, there's a bunch of people, there's some people, and there, but there's new people I don't even know of yet. Those are always the fun, the, the, that's always fun. You know, that's always exciting, you know? Um, you know, I love Andrew. I think she's going to be a huge star. I'm going to do more stuff with her, too. You know, there's, you know, there's a bunch of people coming up. That's more exciting for me. What do you think of music now overall, maybe compared to how it was 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago? I mean, you know, there, there's some there's some really good artists and really and, and some good music, but I think there was like, I don't know, like, when I think of like artists I love, like Prince, you know, and stuff like that, you know, or, I don't know, there's, there's some great, I can't think right now, enough coffee, but, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know who, who, the prince is right now. Do you know what I mean? Like someone that great or Michael Jackson. Or, right. I mean, and, and when, when we think of some of our best artists, you know, that are gone or, or you know, but, I mean, there's great people, but I think, I think some of my heroes aren't the ones now. 
Is it maybe because society is just uh, our entertainment options are more splintered than ever? It's hard for someone to just command total attention like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of records are really great production, you know, and I don't know if the songs will last as long. You know what I mean? And there, I mean, there's some good songs. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but just sometimes I hear records. I'm like, I'm listening to the production. And I'm going like, well, if I, if I play that on my guitar, I don't know if that's going to, I mean, is that going to really last? You know what I mean? Right. But they're great records. Right. And I respect that. It's like great special effects. But if you have the special effects and the story, then you have a blockbuster movie. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. You want the story, too. Right. You want the song. I get bored with songs that have, like, one line repeating over and over for the chorus. That's just me. Right. I'm like, that's kind of lazy. Come on, you could come up with a second line, you know? I don't like lazy writing. I mean, I beat the shit out of myself, you know, to not do that. We talked to a songwriting analysts who say that repetition is, is such a part of pop music now. I think that's kind of what you're saying, that people maybe just take the, the quickest route to, to try to uh, get that in you know, I, I do it in a hooky way in my songs and stuff, but, like, when it's lazy, there's a, there's a difference between when it's lazy and when it's, you know, when you're doing it on purpose, right, for an effect. But when you're rhyming a word with the same word and stuff like that, like, I don't know. <laughs> do you write the same way now, uh, Diane, do songs uh, just pop into your head? Do you sit down to write? Is, is your yeah, process... Yeah, I, I do the same thing I've been doing forever. Yeah? I just try to do it better. Do you sit down to write specifically? Is it is it always on 24-7 type of uh, inspiration? I just... You know, I sit down and try to, you know, I mean, I just show up, you know, and only specific, specifically if it's for a movie or something, you know, if not, I'm just writing something I want, what I want to write. Do you have set hours when you, you go to write or uh, it could be at any moment and you have to stop what you're doing? You know, it could be and, any, any moment, but yeah. I go to work in the morning. Any songs yeah. we should look forward to uh, coming from you next? Yeah, there's a lot of really exciting stuff. I just got out of the studio um, with a song I just did for um, Jennifer Hudson. That's that's amazing. I think it's a huge, huge hit for her. And it's um, but you know, actually, they haven't done a press release yet, so I'm not going to say what what it's from. Yeah. But it, but it's amazing, you know. And, and we're doing a lot of different people, you know, right now. A lot of great artists. A lot of, you know, lot, I'm doing a lot of good stuff coming this year. And you still yeah. get that same thrill when you've uh, yeah, written I do. a song. I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I love it. All right. Well, congratulations. We could, we could go on and on about all, all the numbers. Thirty-two top ten hits, uh, nine number ones. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time, uh, Diane. Nine Oscar nominations. Nine yeah. Oscar wow. nominations. I, I, I love how uh, you, you just put on Facebook. I just lost my nine. I, okay. I, I nominated. Who else is nominated yeah, for now? It's all good. <laughs> I, I like how you said on, on Facebook. You said how uh, Christopher Walken consoled you. Really, and only. You know, he did. That was so funny. Too. Only like, in a way that he no, could. And the Christopher, I can't say it the, the way he says it, but you know, you're all gonna be dead. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was so fucking funny. I wish I would have filmed him saying that. It was really funny. Th- thank you so much, uh, Diane. Okay. Right. Okay, bye. bye. I'm everything I am because you love me. Oh, I'm everything I am because you loved me. Because You Love Me, Celine Dion, number one this week on the Billboard Hot 100, 1996, March 23rd, uh, written by Diane Warren, one of her number ones. Uh, interesting, Trevor, she said, uh, when she wrote it, uh, she thought that was the best song she'd ever written, which is just really amazing. When she had so many hits in the 80s through the 90s and uh, over a, a decade into her career, 
Yeah, yeah, this is the best song I've ever done. Well, well also kind of surprising because I mean, I feel like you rarely hear a songwriter say that. You know, it's always the biggest hits they they never saw coming, or they thought it was pretty good. It could use a little work, or they weren't quite finished with it. But I mean, just you know, to know that. Damn, I did. I did. I did myself with this one. Well, I, 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 you heard her say when I asked her. I said, "Do you know when you've written a hit?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I can tell." But but how, there are so many factors involved. I mean, this one, obviously, if if Celine Dion, one of the biggest stars in the world at the time, doesn't record the song, maybe it doesn't have that much of a chance. So when you get this kind of song and and Celine Dion, that's that's when it all comes together. I mean. Yeah, the one-two dynamite knockout. And it was nice of her to indulge me, uh, uh, talking about deep cuts that uh, barely hit the top 40. But the songs I've always loved. She's just a great a great writer. Just always uh, loved her her sound. So just so many different hints for so many different people. And uh, just uh, great to, to pick the mind of someone who's just one of the all-time best at her craft. Well, again, our thanks to Diane Warren for taking the time to be here on the Charby Podcast. And that wraps up the countdown. Numbers 20 to number one. We went all the way. Um, got a little taste of a lot of R&B, Waiting to Exhale songs out there. Even some of the alt fans, Gin Blossoms, Alanis up in the house. So a nice little mix of some, some action that was happening in the uh, mid-90s there. All right, back to 2018. Uh, next week, uh, we did uh, the Idol uh, countdown the previous uh, two weeks, 1996 this week. So uh, I'm actually not sure exactly how we're going to uh, figure this all out, but we've got uh, a really cool interview that Jim Asker in Nashville did with uh, Hillsong. They've had so many huge uh, Christian hits, and maybe you know, you're not fully familiar with that, so we'll we'll get into the story of that. And uh, if you've seen how big the new movie uh, I Can Only Imagine is, uh, Christian music has a, a huge following. So we're going to talk with one of the bands that uh, is at the forefront of that. Uh, there's another interview uh, along with Diane Warren one of my uh, one of my heroes uh, musically Mary Chapin Carpenter has a new album uh, coming out she's had uh, so many country hits over the years interview with her coming up one of my, I think one of my favorite claims to fame is if I'm not mistaken she won the best female country vocal Grammy four years in a row in the mid 90s there so I mean this is you know that's legit. Yeah, well, women were, were uh, such at the forefront of uh, country music at the time, too. It was uh, a real uh, real high point for that. So, well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about her uh, new album, uh, Bad Wolves, who debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 this week at number 54 with their cover of the Cranberries' Zombie. Uh, talk to the lead singer, Tommy Vexed, of the band, too. So, uh, we have that uh, coming up, too. So, I don't know, we'll figure it all out in the next uh, couple weeks or so. Maybe we'll do some, some standalone podcasts, but uh, we'll get back to the Hot 100. We'll see who will be the next in line at number two yep. and no higher. All right. So, uh, that's this week's uh, Charpie Podcast. We should, uh, there's 80 other songs on the Hot 100 this week. And in 1996, we just did the top 20. It was uh, Wonder, Natalie Merchant, great song, number 28. Uh, George Michael. Uh, one of his most haunting songs, Jesus to a Child, was at number 39 after hitting the top 10. Uh, Madonna, just as Whitney was doing a music and movies, a Madonna with a You'll See, uh, she had a song that had uh, gotten into the top 10. Uh, I don't know. What should we close with, Trevor? All right. Well, luckily for us, there is still one more Waiting to Exhale track out there waiting to be discovered. Uh, actually, the second highest debut of the week after uh, that Beatles track that we talked about coming in number 32 on its way. Of course, where else to the top 10 uh, duet with Whitney Houston and gospel legend CeCe Winans. Here is from Waiting to Exhale, Count on Me.
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.